Well, we are turning to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, uh, and we're going to start reading at chapter 20 from verse 11. Tonight we're continuing in our Living Theology sermon series and we're asking the question, what are the consequences of sin? We're going to read Revelation 20, uh, starting at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. Well, there are times in each of our lives where the brokenness of this world leaps upon us with a force and a power that we can barely cope with. Times when the family stand around the bed whispering in hushed tones, as the presence of death seems to suck the air out of the room. Times when the absence of a close friend or a family member just feels like a hole in your chest. Times when the news of a terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, perhaps, hangs over you throughout the day like a storm cloud. Times when you're holding your screaming baby at two o'clock in the morning and you are emotionally and physically shattered. Times when the tension in your marriage makes you feel sick in your gut and you wonder how things 
turn so cold so quickly. Times when the darkness in your mind and in your heart is so desperately thick that all you can think is, I just want to die. Times when your past failures and regrets haunt you, paralyzing you as you think about all the things that you could never undo. Times when there's so much anger and bitterness coursing through your veins that you feel like a wild animal. Times when your addictive desires seem impossibly strong and you despair of change. Times when the trauma from your past leaves you on the floor in the fetal position, wondering if you'll ever experience anything like normal again. That's a dark start. Those are the types of times, I think, when we ask, what is wrong with the world and, and with society and with me? And we have been wrestling with that question for a few weeks now in our Living Theology series. What went wrong? And to answer this question, we've been talking about sin. Now, sin is not something that we enjoy talking about. As a pastor, I'm often tempted to brush over it and to move on to the happy stuff. But the Bible doesn't let us do that. God's Word tells us that if we want that better world of hope and joy and happiness, we actually need to talk about sin. That's what we've been doing. We've looked at how it all began. Adam and Eve rebelling against God in the Garden of Eden. And we've looked at original sin, how Adam's sin and his, sinful, his guilt and his sinful nature have actually been passed on to all his descendants. And we've looked at personal sin, how each of us break God's law and how sin colors everything that we do and we think and we feel and we love and now today we come to our final sermon on this theme as we ask the question, what are the consequences of sin? What are the consequences of sin in our lives, in our relationships, in our society, in our world? And what hope is there for a better world? The world that we are all longing for. Well, the big idea that I'd like us to wrestle with this afternoon is this. Sin brings about the decreating of God's world. Sin, sin is the decreating, the destroying of God's world, of, of humanity, of everything we were made to be. It's, it's the unraveling, the decaying, the death of the life that God created. Now, that word death, that's really important. Back in Genesis 2, verse 17, God said to Adam, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Simply put, the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Now, when we hear that, we tend to think of physical death, which is part of it, but it's not the whole story. Because death in the fullest sense is actually death of the whole person. Physical and spiritual, body and soul. And I think it's only when we grasp that that we start to see how tragic and destructive sin really is. According to God's word, death is primarily about being separated from God. 
Uh, in Isaiah 59 verse 2, we read that your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. So death is really about being uprooted from God, the, the source of all life, like a, like a plant pulled up by the roots and then just left on the footpath in the scorching hot sun. Every single bit of goodness and happiness and love and creativity in the whole world finds its origin in God. And in the act of sinning, we, we cut ourselves off from all of that. Uh, and the consequences of that must be enormous, right? We're talking about death in the most profound sense and in, with the most cosmic proportions. We're going to unpack this uh, in a few different ways. We want to think about how sin has impacted us in how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others, and how we relate to creation. Four key things. The first and the most fundamental is that the consequence of sin is that it destroys our relationship with God. After Adam and Eve sinned, God administered the penalty of death. Now, he didn't immediately bring that in its fullest form. They didn't drop down dead on the spot because God was very gracious. But even as they continued living, they had already entered a state of spiritual death. They were driven out of paradise, remember. Cut off from God's presence. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we're all dead in our sin. John tells us that we live in darkness because we're deprived of God's light and God's truth and God's love. Uh, Ephesians 4 verses 18 and 19, I'll read that now, describes sinners as being darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. It's pretty heavy. Because of sin, it's, it's now impossible for us to seek God, to know God, to love God on our own. We were made to love God and to follow His beautiful laws. He is the loving, kind one. And he was always going to lead us and guide us and care for us and inspire us and satisfy us. He was the, the sun at the center of the solar system. And the sun, as you probably know, holds all the other planets in their perfect orbit. But what happens when you pluck the sun out of the solar system? Well, each of us become like planets hurtling chaotically through space on a fatal collision course. And without Jesus, every single one of us live out our whole lives in a chaotic state of spiritual death until the moment of fiery impact. When we physically die and then die eternally as we're eternally separated from God. That's what we read about in Revelation 20, the second death. The final destiny of all who reject God, the lake of fire, place of eternal torment. 
Though sin destroys our relationship with God. But that's not the whole story. Because as our relationship with God falls apart, so does everything else. Remember our big idea that that sin decreates everything God has made. Well, that actually includes the the decreating of ourselves. Uh, One guy, Ian Campbell, says, Sin is what dehumanizes us. It is an unmaking of ourselves, a deconstructing of man. And I think um, theologian Louis Burkhoff summarizes this really well. He says, sin brought disturbance in the entire life of man. His physical life fell a prey to weaknesses and diseases, which result in discomforts and often in agonizing pains. And his mental life became subject to distressing disturbances, which often rob him of the joy of life, disqualify him for his daily task, and sometimes entirely destroy his mental equilibrium. His very soul has become a battlefield of conflicting thoughts, passions, and desires. The will refuses to follow the judgment of the intellect. And the passions run riot without the control of an intelligent will. And this is, this is the key. The true harmony of life is destroyed and makes way for the curse of the divided life. End quote. The curse of the divided life. Have you experienced that within yourself? It manifests itself in a sense of unfulfilled yearning, in gender dysphoria and anxiety and depression, in a sense of frustration because we can't achieve our highest ideals, in a sense of doubt about our long-term purpose in life. So, sin brings about decreation in our relationship with God, And the decreation of ourselves as we we fall apart from the inside. But it doesn't stop there. Think about it. If there are are 8 billion people in the world, 8 billion sinners falling apart at the seams, well, what's that going to lead to? It leads to relational and, and societal chaos. We see that too. We see the seeds of it in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve's sin. They had this beautiful marriage and it's just torn apart all of a sudden. They're ashamed of their naked bodies. And then they start throwing each other under the bus because they don't want to admit their own failures. And then they they fail to fulfill their God-given roles, the husband leading and loving, uh, the wife helping and nurturing you know, sin has, has polluted our experience of love. Maybe that's why people say, it's always those who are closest to you who hurt you the most. Instead of bringing the best out of each other, we hurt others and, and they hurt us. We're, we're all, at the same time, perpetrators and victims. Instead of us working together for God and for good, 
We work against each other. We compete, we compare, we tear others down to build our kingdoms. I'm sure you've seen this in society. Uh, greed, selfishness, tribalism, just a failure to listen. The inability for any country to agree on the right leader and the right way forward. Elections seem to come down to you know, 49% to 51%. Racism and abuse and injustice and war and genocide. Where does all of that come from? Ian Campbell again, he says that sin reverses God's order, breaks down God's distinctions, removes God's boundaries. You know, we live in a world where everyone is trying to get home, but we've thrown away our compass and Google Maps and our sat-nav. Without God's law, God's love, God's truth to guide us, we find ourselves wondering, what's right? Hmm, what's wrong? What's man? What's woman? What's true? What's false? Your guess is as good as mine. So sin brings about the decreation of our relationship with God, the decreation of ourselves, and of our relationships with others. And now fourth, it destroys our relationship with God's creation, with nature. Romans 8 tells us that because of sin, all the creation is frustrated and groaning because it's in bondage to decay. You might remember that God's judgment included a curse on the ground, on creation. And so weeds grow and sun burns and work is frustrating and difficult and stressful and floods and fires and droughts and floods and fires and droughts on repeat ravage the earth. And instead of caring for the planet as God commanded us to, our greed has led us to pollute the environment and mistreat animals and abuse the earth's natural resources. I sometimes think if only we had a supreme scientist for the whole human race, perfectly wise, lived forever, and could just guide humanity to know how to act and care for the planet. Without God, we, we harm the planet. Sometimes accidentally, sometimes willfully. Sometimes we can recognize some of the mess we've made. Rarely do we have any idea how to fix it. So there are some of the consequences of sin. It's about the decreating, the decay, the death of everything God has made. Our beautiful world, our relationships with each other and with ourselves. And most of all, our relationship with God, which is bleak. It is bleak, isn't it? And yet the Bible tells us, actually, it's not as bleak as it could have been, as it should have been. Yes, our world is desperately evil and corrupt and we're under God's judgment, but things aren't as bad as they could be. Because left to ourselves, we would have created hell on earth. But in his grace, God hasn't allowed that to happen. Um, throughout our broken world, we see fractured reflections of how it was meant to be. 
don't we? Glimpses of love, beauty, kindness, creativity, happiness. Why? It's because of what theologians call common grace. Common grace is God actually restraining the spread of sin in the world, holding it back, and giving many good things that we don't deserve. Why? Why has God done that? Why didn't he wipe us out instantly? Acts 14 verse 17 says, God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's amazing, isn't it? After everything we've seen about the the filth of sin, we discover that God hasn't given up on us. God loves us still. He still loves his world. He is patient. He is slow to anger because he wants us to come back to him and he wants to he wants to destroy sin. He wants to defeat death. He wants to make all things new again. But how? How will God do that? How would you do that? We need a superhero. We need a conqueror, a champion, a rescuer. Someone so powerful he can defeat death itself. Someone so perfect he is impervious to sin and temptation. Someone so compassionate he would be willing to enter a filthy mess like ours. Sin brings about the decreation of God's world, but God himself steps onto our planet in human form and he begins to reverse this. Jesus begins to recreate and restore the world. Jesus undoes the effects of sin, first in his own life and ministry, then in us, his followers, and one day in the whole world. Let's unpack that for a minute. For starters, Jesus has a perfect relationship with God. He loves his Father in heaven and delights to obey him, unlike us. And unlike us, Jesus is perfectly sinless. Jesus is the most fully, truly human human to ever live. Because he is uncorrupted by sin. And unlike us, Jesus loves other people perfectly. We saw this morning in Mark 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And unlike us, Jesus rules over nature perfectly. He could control the wind and waves with his voice. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And then this perfect man died. How terribly unfair. The one who didn't deserve to die, died. Why? It's for us. 
Because the wages of sin, our sin, is death. His death. That's the message of Christianity. He dies our death. And we live his life. Jesus is the superhero that we desperately need. He conquered death in the fullest sense of the word. Physically, spiritually, eternally. And now he lives in the fullest sense of the word, physically, spiritually, eternally. And if you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus, his death becomes your death. His life becomes your life. Jesus undoes the effects of sin, first in his own life and ministry, but, but then in us, his followers, and one day in the whole world. Are you trying to deal with the chaos, the evil, the trauma, the despair on your own? How's that going for you? We don't have the power to deal with the mess of sin. We don't have the power, but Jesus does. And if you're burdened by pain and brokenness, Dear friend, there is hope. There is hope. Today is the day of salvation. And tomorrow is the day of restoration. Today, Jesus offers us forgiveness from all our sin and guilt. He offers us adoption into God's family as his children, no longer estranged and cut off from him. He offers, offers us a new heart that can love God, a new mind that can know God, a new will that wants to obey God. He offers us freedom from the power of sin so that we can actually start fighting temptation and, and living holy lives. Today is the day of salvation. And tomorrow is the day of restoration. We read that in Revelation 21. There's a day coming soon when Jesus will return and he will make all things new. A new world where all the consequences of sin are gone. No more tears. No more death. No more pain. This is our great hope, isn't it? This is what gets us out of bed in the morning. This is what keeps us going in those times of suffering. And this is what drives us to reach our city with the good news of Jesus. I don't think you could give anyone a more sobering piece of news than this. You have cut yourself off from the living God. And unless you turn to him for mercy, you will suffer eternal death. I also don't think you could share a better piece of news then Jesus has conquered sin and death for you so that you can come home to God and be with him in paradise forever. Jesus undoes the effects of sin, first in his own life and ministry, then in us, his followers, and one day in the whole world. Now, as we finish... 
let me just briefly address a question that you might have. You see, we've been talking about the consequences of sin in a, in a general sense. But what do the consequences of sin look like for Christians? Christians who've been saved but are still struggling with sin because we're on this side of eternity. Well, Scripture is clear that sin does not change the legal standing of a Christian before God. Romans 8 verse 1, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our justification is set in stone. All of our sin was paid for once and for all. And our status as God's children doesn't change. You don't get unadopted when you sin. But that doesn't mean that a Christian's sin has no consequences. Because although God doesn't stop loving us when we sin, in fact, his love doesn't shrink even a little bit, he is displeased with us. Ephesians 4.30 says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin. And in Hebrews 12, we're reminded that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Why? It goes on, for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Or as Jesus says in Revelation 3, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, no hardship that God sends into the Christian's life should be seen as judgment for sin. Jesus has paid that in full. But we shouldn't be surprised when God disciplines us with trials as his children to grow us in holiness, to grow us in repentance, putting off sin and, and drawing closer to him. Sin, sin does have serious consequences for us as Christians. I've experienced this in my own life. I suspect you have too. It really does impact our relationship with God. It can make it hard for us to pray and read the Bible. Uh, it can steal our peace. It can lead us into seasons of doubt and struggle. And, and it, it affects our relationships with others too. You know, the fact that your sin is forgiven doesn't mean that your actions can't hurt those around you and cause pain, painful consequences in life. Things like divorce, um, imprisonment, poverty, sickness and disease. And sin also impacts our spiritual fruitfulness. Jesus tells us in John 15 that if we fail to abide in him, we can't bear fruit. And, and living in sin will prevent you from growing the fruit of the Spirit. It will make us less effective in evangelism. It will make us less of a blessing to each other here at church. It may even discredit the gospel. It might defame the name of Christ, especially if you're in leadership in the church. No wonder Paul says in Romans 6, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means! No, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
sin is always serious. It's always damaging to our relationship with God, to ourselves, to our relationship with each other and our planet. But thanks be to God for sending a champion, a beautiful saviour, Jesus Christ, who is making all things new. As, as we go back out this week, back out into our fallen world, let's keep our eyes and our hopes fixed on him. Because today is the day of salvation and tomorrow is the day of restoration. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray that prayer together now. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly because you have so much goodness to bring to our hurting world, to our aching bodies, to weary saints who carry the consequences of sin in our lives and our bodies every day. Lord God, we just want to humble ourselves again and admit that we have made a terrible mess, a terrible mess of this world. We have cut ourselves off from you, Lord, and the consequences are so horrific. And we're sheltered from a lot of them in the West, Lord. We're sheltered from so much of the pain and suffering in our world, and yet even for us, it can be hard to bear. And our hearts break for our fellow human beings around us who don't realize that sin is the root problem. And Lord, we pray, give us a fire within us to go out and reach them. And Lord, we pray, go before us through the fire of the Holy Spirit to soften their hearts and open their eyes so that they will see their sin and see the beauty of Jesus, our Saviour, the champion who has defeated sin and defeated death and is making all things new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.